hello and welcome to the Clutch Tennis Podcast. Uh, this week, I believe we're just joined by Luke again, and that is him here. So hello, Luke. How are you doing? Hello, Charlie. I'm all right, thanks. Slightly better than the last time we recorded. How are you? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm good. It's uh, it's Australian elections today, and it's been torrential rain all day. So I've been watching all the people have to go down the street in the rain whilst they're legally obliged to vote, and I am not. Um, however, it has meant that my tennis was cancelled, so that is sad. Um, so yes, uh, we're we're joined by Luke this week to to go through our second podcast talking about the French Open. Now this time we're going to be much more sort of um, tip heavy. I think is the the way we describe it. We're we're looking at what matches we think are going to win, what exciting round ones we have in offer, um, and what the what the bookies think as opposed to what we think and whether the two match up. Same as normal, we'll go through um, an accumulator that we select, a selection of round one matches that we like the look of. Um, we'll go through a, a wild card and an outright, so a couple of picks maybe to win the event. Um, and we'll have a tips or pass each where we'll, we'll kind of look at something that's a, a 50-50 with the bookies and see if we can come out on the right side of that. Uh, now, we will obviously hand over to Luke in a moment just for a recap. But I did also just want to briefly, before we start, talk through something new that we thought we'd try this week. We, Given that it's a Grand Slam and there's going to be tennis every day for the next fortnight, we, we figured that we'd be a lot more active on, on the Twitter scene. Um, and what we're going to do is we're going to have a little competition between me, Luke, and Jack, who sadly can't be with us today. Um, and we're going to have a, a tips or pass each day. Uh, so we're going to see who sort of comes out, out the best of that. Um, see if anyone can sort of magically remain unbeaten and almost turn your your kind of one unit exponentially into into sort of crazy amounts, if you will. Um, and equally, we're going to start with, um, say, I can't remember if we've decided this, but I, I had in my head we'd each start with five units to to go for the for the fortnight, um, and then see which of us uh, publicly, obviously, posting each pick that we make each time with this. But who can convert that five units into the the highest or the the least diminished uh, total uh, out of the three of us, basically? So a bit of a competition and also gives you lots of insight um, as sort of listeners and followers into what what we think is, is good as the weeks go on. Because I'm well aware that these podcasts only focus on the first few days. Um, so that's that's what we'll be going through today. So... If you've got that recap now, Luke, I'll hand over to you. I do, yes. And um, once again, it's pretty good reading for us. Um, in terms of our accumulators, mine was it was reduced to a double because um, Bautista Group pulled out pre-event. Um, th- this is about Rome, by the way, I should add. We did do a podca- podcast for, for Geneva or Leon this week. Um, so mine was just a double of Goffin um, at Slight Underdog. And Ketchmanovich to win a set, which came in. Um, so that's plus 2.5 units there. Uh, Charlie's accumulator had um, Schwartzman, Apelka, and Norrie to win in straights. Uh, Apelka sadly losing, so that accumulator lost. Um, so overall, they had four wins and one loss. Uh, in terms of our outrights, um, I had Djokovic to win the event at 10 to 3, so that's five units of profit. Um, my Walker was Sitsapas, who made the final at 11 to 2, so that's an extra 1.75 units of profit. Um, Charlie went for Alcaraz, who 
uh, with Drew pre-event, so that's Boyd, um, and his wildcard is Vera Bell in the semis, I think. Um, so overall, we're up 7.2 units for the Rome Masters. Uh, in terms of our tips of passes, um, Jack went for Lloyd Harris to beat Kratsev. Um, despite serving for the match, Harris managed to lose. Um, so Jack is at two wins, seven losses for the for the year. Not great reading there. Um, Charlie had Schwartzman minus 2.5 games, which um, I think despite Schwartzman winning, um, just lost because I think the, the margin of victory was two games. Um, so that means Charlie's on four wins, six losses for the season. Um, I had Goffan plus 2.5 games and he won in straights. Um, so that was a win there. So now I'm on five wins and five losses for the season. Uh, yep, sorry, I was trying to find the, the unmute button there. Yep, so so again, pretty pretty good reading. And I, I make this point every time in case there's somebody new who listens. One unit is is a lot in the grand scheme of things. It might not be a lot to your, to your everyday punter who potentially considers their viable amount to bet per per week or whatever, or or their bankroll for, for the betting as as like ten pounds, say. But for, for those sort of bigger bigger stakers, one unit can be a lot of money. Um and percentage wise, it doesn't matter how much you're staking and how much you're not, because one unit should be one percent effectively of what, what you can put down. So if we're coming out each time with sort of 10, 11, 12 unit profits and for the year, I believe, I haven't totted it up, but I think we're going to be around about plus 40 um, to have gained a 50% return on what you can stake down. Uh, that's huge. Um, that's that's bigger than you're going to get putting it in an ISA, let's put it that way, um, which is which is always positive. So it's nice to know that we're we're putting the right feelers out there for, for tennis in terms of betting, because I do feel like tennis at times can be quite a difficult one to get right. Um, so anyway... Moving now on to the French Open. Now, me and Luke had a long discussion the other day, um, and hopefully you've had a listen to that podcast, about what, what it's going to be like uh, over at the French. The qualifiers has, has offered us some, some insight into how the courts are playing, especially yesterday as the cold weather front did start to move through and we did have a few rain delays. Um, it did appear to be playing pretty pretty slowly, um, and there were some strange, quite frankly, results as a result of that. Um but one thing I did notice is that, as I predicted, the extremely big hitters seem to be doing pretty well because they're the ones who are actually able to get the cheap points off serve and, and off their ground strokes. Perhaps I saw a really good performance uh, from Norbert Gombos. Um, and uh, and to be honest with you, your you're kind of extremely defensive players are, are doing pretty well. I saw a, a, a nice uh, example of that, I suppose, with uh, a lesser-known player in Ugo Carabelli. Um, the Argentine who who dispatched Alexander Richard in the last round of qualies. And that was a pure cat and mouse type encounter. So I think even though it's going to be a little bit less relevant when you start talking about the extremely big names in tennis, because they are so much better than the rest of the field generally, um, it is still relevant. And I think there's a lot of round ones when I looked through it that jump out at me as ones that are immediate avoids based on those conditions. Um, and I think it was, and you can say what you think, Luke, just having a little glance at these round ones. Um, there's a number of them that jump out to me as possible kind of underdog wins, but there's not a huge number that I look at and say, yep, definite kind of 
one to three or one to two matches to be picking? Um, I don't know. I mean, I've, I've found a, a few that I think are pretty safe for my accumulator that I'll get into later. Um, but yeah, there, there's also a couple of couple of underdogs, um, a couple of quite long underdogs that I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about a bit later as well. Yeah, so um, I mean, I suppose what we normally do is we talk through the matches that kind of leap out at us, and uh, and if there's anything there that kind of stands out as a really exciting match, not necessarily for for a betting purpose, but just just to watch. Um, and th- th- there are a few. Um, the well, I say there's a few. Um, one of which is is Stavrinka versus Mute for me. Um, Stavrinka obviously has won the French before, multiple Grand Slam winner. Coming back from injury, not 100% sure where he's going to be. Mute, again, actually, weirdly, coming back from injury, but very volatile, whilst equally very talented player who can challenge a lot of the very best guys out there when he's uh, when he's zoned in and when he's striking the ball well. It's a pure aggressive player in Vavrinka against typically a counterpuncher in Mute. And it, it's going to be a really interesting one. And it's very cool to see where, where Vavrinka is going to be at. Because if he comes out and looks good, that's a name that you're going to want to avoid for the rest of the week. Um, the bookies have cautiously put this one at eight to eleven favorite on Vavrinka and eleven to ten underdog on Mute. So just like myself, they're not exactly sure what we're going to see in that match. Um, I don't know if you saw that one and had any thoughts, Luke. Yeah, no, that is that is probably one of the most interesting ones for sure. Vavrinka being being a former champion. Um, and Mute being a being a Frenchman in France, and you mentioned on the other podcast that they are typically very dangerous and one you'd have to think certainly think at least twice before before going against. Um and I think Mute's one as well that can sort of he's he, one that could feed off the crowd well and can as I mean as you what one hundred percent. Mute is He's a circus leader, really, isn't he? Like he's—I I saw him in a challenger, um, and it was that was one where he was playing against a home favorite, actually, over in um, Ostrava. I think the challenger was first match back from injury, and it was—it was a mess. Um, he tanked the first set, um, looked uninterested, then got into the match, started finding a rhythm, um, started sort of pumping up the crowd despite them booing him, um, hitting three underarm serves in the same game took a medical timeout at 6-1 down in the third set tie-break. <laughs> like, uh, the, you, you never know what's coming with him. But in France, with the crowd behind him, you're very right. I think he's going to he's gonna get pumped there. Yeah, and I think you touched on something there as well, is that the, the lack of rhythm that Wawrinka is going to get, which um, when you're coming back from injury is not ideal. Um, but I, d- I do think that, you know, if Wawrinka is playing anywhere near his best, he's... He's going to have too much for for someone like Mute. He's got a couple of wins already on the clay, um, in Romy Bitterpelka and possibly someone else as well. I can't remember. Um, so I do think Wawrinka gets the win, but not not one to bet on for me. Yeah, I, I would agree with that as well. Um, it's also again, and I think we need to be more like this in in future podcasts as well. Um, I think we always take it for for granted that that people who listen actually know who these players are. Um, Mute, left-hander, uh, small in stature, very, very fast foot speed, 
Um, heavy topspin forehand. Uh, backhand tends to be much more of a neutral shot, which he, he uses as a way of, of just staying in the point more than attacking. Uh, loves drop shots, loves angles. Uh, Vavrinka, by contrast, one-handed backhand, um, and that arguably the best one-handed backhand or backhand full stop that the game has ever seen. It's right up there anyway. Um, and that, that sort of lefty forehand into the Vavrinka uh, backhand, therefore, is, is going to be really, really exciting as a um, as a prospect for that match. Uh, I'm excited to see that anyway. Um, Vavrinka as well, not not the tallest of guys. So he, he, he does rely on his ground strokes quite a lot um, and being aggressive from the back foot. Um, so that was kind of my, my pick of the round ones. Is there anything that kind of jumps out as you, Luke, and you wanted to talk about? Um, I've, I've got a couple here. First one, um, Joel Vritsonga against Kasper Ruud. Just that it's, it's Songa's last event. He's got a pretty rough jaw. I just hope he can, he can put in one last good performance in front of a French crowd as well. He'll be, be fully behind him. Ruud is, uh, even the final this week in Geneva, but, I'm not sure he's quite at his his best. So if if Songa can um you know put in one last good performance then you never know. Um other matches I think um is it Dominic team against Hugo Delian. Um bookies have made that out to be a dead heat, I think. Um that that'll be an interesting one to see if team can finally get a win on the clay. Otherwise he's gonna have to wait until next year unless he plays one of the few events they sort of have after Wimbledon um, I, I actually think I, I looked at that one as well by the way I, I think this is the moment where team team wins um, Delian's been playing quite well but but I do think that that, that sort of matchup should should suit team uh, team obviously again big ball striker one of the best one handers that the, the game's got um, much much more aggressive than than Delian has been um, lately. Um, what I saw from Delian sort of in his good run a couple of weeks ago in one of the 250s somewhere, I can't remember what it was, um, where he lost to Gasquet in the end was that he he fell a victim of being too passive. Um, and that's actually unusual for Delian because he's historically been somebody who rips his forehand. Um, but he's he's evidently changed his game style a lot this year. Um, and and I think that's, that's where team team finally gets his win. Yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see, to see for sure. Um, but probably, I'm, I'm not betting on team until he's until he's won a match, which I think is justified. Um, and then the last one, I'm it is it is justified. But then you're you're going to be looking at a as soon as he wins one, his odds go to one to ten. Yeah, yeah, that that is true. But I mean, I I, I thought it. There are quite a few matches he's had this year that I, I thought he'd win before this, and he hasn't. Um, most of them, he's not even coming very close. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I do think that best best of five, he's got a bit bit longer, a bit more time to get into the match. Um, and obviously, when he's when he's on, he has, he has way too much quality for, for anyone not not named Nadal really on a on a clay court. Um, and then the other match I'd like to. To mention uh, Denis Shapovalov against Holger Rune. Um, Shapovalov at eight to thirteen favourites. Rune thirteen to ten underdog. Um, I think this will be interesting given how well Rune's done on the clay this this year. Won a title if I'm not mistaken. 
um, in Munich. Um, Shapovalov hasn't hasn't bothered much with the clay. I don't know if he's been I've been injured to be fair. Um, but I, th- I think you said the other day that um, if anything sums up Shapovalov on clay, it's that he lost to Murray and then the week after beat, <laughs> beat Nadal. So I mean. Yeah, look, he's, he's he's quite an inconsistent performer at times, especially on the clay, which is his worst surface. Um, and yeah, I think it'll be. I think this this could be could be close. Could potentially be a, a first round upset for Rune. Yeah, so I, I looked at this and thought that Rune is probably unjustly underdog. I think he's he's a good good pick if you're looking for an underdog result. Um, again, just outlining the two players, Shapovalov, ridiculous athlete, one of these sort of next-gen players who's come through recently, um, for, for those who don't follow the sport all too well. Um, big serve and huge forehand. Um, big backhand as well, to be honest, but is much less um, trusted than his forehand. Um, great net skills. Um, he's teamed up a lot with Bopana in the doubles, and that shows. Um, Holgerun, one of the youngsters, I believe he's 19. 18, 19. Um, and uh, he's, he's been coming through, as you say, won his first title, albeit by a, effectively a walkover, if you will, versus, um, I think it was a retirement, actually, versus uh, Van der Zanschulp. Very, very aggressive baseliner off both sides. Uh, not a particularly great serve. Uh, not particularly. I think he's six foot dead. I think that's his height as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think Rune, his form... The way he's been playing took Norrie pretty close last night. Actually, uh, took a set off him. Um, I think you'd be you'd be hard pushed to to find justification to say that Chapeau is his favourite there. Yeah, no, I, I I think I think I agree with that. I do think they think Rune will, will probably probably get the win there. Yep. Okay. So, so then what that, that brings us on to now, I suppose, is, is our accumulators and outrights and wildcards and whatnot. Um, so, so maybe if you want to kick us off with that one, Luke. Yeah, sure. So I've just got a, a four fold this week. I've got David Goffran to beat Yuri Lehechka at four to nine. Um, he's already beaten him this year in Monte Carlo this year in, um, in straight sets was a was a pretty routine win from from what I saw. Um I've waxed lyrical about Goffan in the last few weeks, I feel, but he is he is playing playing brilliantly. Um won a title in Marrakesh is his first for quite a few years. Um picked up wins at all the Masters events. Um was was really good against um Herkaj and Rome. Herkaj actually played quite well I thought. Um but Goffan really um Really turned up, um, served for the match in the second set, got broken, but d- did well to to sort of maintain his composure and then um, close out the win in, in the tiebreak. Um, yeah, I just I just think he's got too much quality for Lehechka on this surface, um, particularly uh, given it's so slow. Lehechka's going to struggle to to hit through him. Goffin moves really well. Um, he, he defends really well as well. Something I saw against Herkaz is. Um, when he's sort of on the back foot, he played these sort of loopy high balls, um, which landed right in Herkaj's backhand corner. There just wasn't a lot he could do with that. Um, so if if he can do the same here, then he's he's going to be fine against Lehechka. I think four to nine is is quite generous there. 
Um, I've got Sebastian Byers to beat Dusan Lajevic at two to five. Um, I'm not one to sort of focus too much on rankings, but if you look at it in this instance, um, Byers has had a really good clay swing, kind of his it's kind of his first season on, on the ATP tour. Um, he's won his first title in Estoril. Um, and he's he's in the top 40 in the world. Um, compare that with Lajevic, um, who's finally lost all of his his points from making the final of Monte Carlo back in 2019. Um, and he's slipped to 66 in the world, which is kind of reflects where he's at at the moment. Um, Lajevic does, does have the bigger weapons. Um, but again, on the slow court, I think he's struggled. He's going to struggle to hit through buyers, um, and I think just has a bit better court craft on, on the clay. Um, I just think Live is just going to have to maintain too high a level for too long a period of time um, to get past buyers in in this best of five format. Um, so I think buyers at two to five there's a decent price. I've gone for Fabio Fognini to beat Alexi Popperin at one to two. Um, I do think Bugnini will turn up here, given it's a Grand Slam. It's a big event. Um, on the clay, he just has better point construction than Poprin. He moves really well. Um, he he can hang in the rallies, but he also has the weaponry to to hit through people. I mean, we're we're talking about someone who's beaten Nadal multiple times on clay, which not many people can can say they've done that. Um, Poprin is he is dangerous. He's someone with a high ceiling. But Fognini's best is is still quite significantly better, I think, on the clay. Um, so I think Fognini gets the win there at one to two. And then the final leg, a bit risky, um, Christian Garin to beat Tommy Paul at eight to 11. I just think that given that neither player has, has massive weapons, you'd say, um, um, I'm sounding a bit like a broken record on here, but... I just think on the clay, Garin has has much better point construction than um, than Paul. He knows how to win matches on this surface. He's very happy to hang in the long rallies. I think this could go long, um, but I don't see Garin losing. I think eight to eleven is quite generous odds. Um, so I just recap that. I've got Goffin at four to nine, Baez at two to five, Fognini at one to two, Garin at eight to eleven. Those combined for a full fold at four point two three to one. Um, shall I mention my tips of pass as well? Uh, yeah, go on with the the tips pass too. Yeah. So one one of the one of the underdogs that I alluded to earlier, um, Hugo Gaston against Alex Dimonor. I think four to one is way too generous there on Gaston. Um, given he's, he's quite similar to Mute, I think another lefty, very talented, um, very good retriever as well. And like Mute, he's someone who who really feeds off a home crowd. I mean, we saw this in um, in Paris last year where he got a no, he qualified actually, um, beat beat Rindenech, then took out Karenia Booster, um, then beat Alcraz in straight sets, and then in the next in the course <coughs> pushed Medvedev really close, um, seven, losing seven six six four, um, and if you. If the crowd manages to elevate him to that level again, I think he's got a great chance of winning. Um, so my tip to pass is Gaston just to win a set against Demonor, um, which is four to five. Okay. Uh, yeah, f- fair enough. Um, th- there was a couple of picks in there that I wasn't wasn't totally sold on. The 
the, the last one, I just remember, it was 8-11, to 11, I think you said there was one pick in your accumulator. Um, it was the last leg. Uh, yeah, it was um, Gary to beat Paul. That was it. Um, I just think Paul's been playing quite well. Um, I think that that is more of a risk than I would I would want to take, potentially. Um, okay, now that brings me on to, on to my selections. Now, I've got a six-fold. I'll whiz through it, to be honest. Um, it's Botic van der Zandschulp to beat Pavel Kotov. Now, these are two names that, to be honest, you're probably not that interested in if you don't follow tennis that closely. Uh, van der Zandschulp, big hitter, both sides, quite flat, very clean ball striker. Kotov, pretty defensive from the back of the court, but has a big serve. Um, quite frankly, it's going to be two guys who, oh, I would say, are both happy in a neutral rally, um, but van der Zandschulp will have that little bit extra quality. Um I I can't really see him losing. Um, and that's three to ten. Um I've got uh Chun Shin Seng uh, to beat Zhao Susa. Uh Zhao Susa, normally a pretty defensive baseliner, um, has been playing pretty well this week actually. Um I believe he's in the final today against Kaspar Rood over in Geneva. Uh yes, it is Geneva. Um Seng, by contrast, is a very aggressive ball striker. Hits it very, very flat, especially off his forehand. Um, and he has been in incredible form on the Challenger Tour. Um, I think he's gonna gonna hurt Sousa. Sousa will want to defend in counter punch, but he won't be able to against the firepower of Seng. Um, eight to eleven, therefore, for him. Um, I've got Dan Evans to take on Francisco Serendolo, uh, four to six. Now Serendolo is um, uh, basically a very, very aggressive baseliner off the forehand wing, not so much off the backhand. Dan Evans. More than happy kind of playing on the front foot and using the pace that he's given. But he's got more court craft than Serendolo. And on a slower court pace uh, index sort of surface like the French Open, especially when it's damp, I think the Dan Evans slice, his ability to mix up pace, potentially keep it low onto that Serendolo backhand and exploit, hopefully, the the weakness that is the Serendolo serve. Um, I think over five sets, he's going to get that job done. Um, I've gone for Mikhail Yuma. Uh, to beat James Duckworth at four to nine. Uh, James Duckworth, uh, very heavy forehand. It's it's pretty aggressive again. Big serve. Looks like a rugby player. This chap, Mikhail Yuma, pretty defensive baseline. Makes a hell of a lot of balls. Incredibly fast around the court. It's his court speed that is going to win him that match. He's going to force Duckworth to overpress um, while simultaneously not allowing Duckworth to to just sort of roll the ball in because Mikhail, unlike his brother Elias, does have quite a lot of weaponry on the forehand side. Um, so he kills short balls pretty well and is a, a very sort of, I, I would say, versatile player on this surface. He he doesn't mind coming forward, which is which is unusual for somebody who is a defensive player. Um, Alex Molchan to beat Coria 1-2. Rematch of uh, our quarterfinal, I think it was, in Lyon. Um, he, Alex Molchan playing very well. He's got the final today against Cam Norrie. Um, and uh, he, he dispatched Corey pretty comfortably. I think it was three and two when they met last week. I see that being no different here. Uh, Molchan, very similar to Corey in that they both make a lot of balls, pretty weak behind serve. There's going to be a lot of breaks across five sets. Um, but it's just that minor bit of aggression that Molchan has compared to Corey that sets him apart. It puts Corey on the back foot and just forces one to two more forced errors on the Corey racket than it does on the Molchan, allowing him to dictate play and have things his way. And then to round off my sixth fold, I've got Alejandro Tabio 
um, the sort of up-and-coming clay quarter from Chile, to beat Borna Goyo, the qualifier. Now, Goyo, very aggressive player, huge forehand, huge serve, pretty boring to watch if you've ever watched it, in my opinion. Uh, Tabio, by contrast, similar sort of thing, big serve, big forehand, but just a slightly better court coverage and ability to mix it up on this surface as well. Uh, he he hit sort of inside-out forehands with a bit more sort of craft and angle. Um he doesn't hit drop shots or anything, to be honest with you. He just rips it, but he can at least do it off both wings. And I think it's that ability, if he can keep the exchange with Goyo moving, and especially moving out to the backhand side, both of them are going to be tough to break, and I think Tabio will just edge it in the crucial moments. Um, so two to five there is value. That sixfold coming in at 10.35 to one. Um, now, tips of pass. Now, <laughs> this is something that I hadn't, I hadn't actually really looked too much into prior to, to literally just now. Um, but but one thing that, that does interest me here is, again, if we look at the kind of players who, who are going to hit through this slow court pace index, uh, John Isner, <laughs> huge forehand, huge serve. He's not going to get broken despite the court being slow very often. He's playing against Quentin Halice. Uh Now, I said never go on or against French people, but I, I think Isner's one of the very few who can take the French player out of the match and therefore take the crowd away too. Um, nobody can really get too excited when you're just watching your player not be able to return the ball on, on return games. And behind his own serve, he's just winning cheat points because John Isner's hitting the back fence. Um, now, obviously, Isner comes into this one at one to two favourite. So obviously, I can't pick that as my tips are passed. But but what I can pick, obviously, is I can pick a, a, a set handicap um, or, or that, that kind of uh, scenario. So so what we've actually got on, on Bet365, I don't know why they haven't got the, the set handicaps the same way they normally would, but they've got John Isner to win two sets at 10 to 11. So that means he doesn't actually have to win the match. He doesn't even have to win any of the first two sets. He's just got to win two. And considering... I can see him making two or three tie breaks, if not winning a set via a break prior to that. Uh, I like the look of that. So I'm going to go John Isner, um, the big server, to win two sets against Quentin Harris um, at at evens. Is it? Is Isner not favourite there? In in terms of like the the money line. Yeah. It. Oh wait, hang on. Uh, yeah, I. I don't know what I've just looked at there. Yeah, you, you're you're 100 spot on. That, yeah, because that that doesn't yeah. that doesn't sound right. No, it doesn't. No. Um, where was it that I found that? Uh, anyway, ignore that. Because um, the other option would be that I want to take him in. I want to take him basically minus 2.5, um, which I think would be a similar kind of thing. But where is the the set handicap? It's just not there. Um, Okay, you're going to have to come back to me because I've I've made a bit of a balls up there to be honest with you. Um I thought that was that was evens for some reason. Um so I'll let you go through your out, outrights and wild cards and then I'll I'll jump back to mine and I'll I'll find hopefully a set handicap on Isner on one of the websites. Okay. Um so my outright I've not gone for the person who I think is going to win the event. Um I I spoke about that on the other podcast. Um I've gone for Stefanos Tsitsipas at nine to two um just because of his draw really um he 
kind of, in my opinion, he he has to be making the final there. Um, he's landed in the half that avoids Novak Djokovic, uh, Alex Zverev, Rafael Nadal, and Carlos Alcaraz. You know, certainly three of the biggest names. Um, if you take out Zverev, three three of the three the three main contenders for the for the tournament. Um, so he has to play um, his projected quarterfinals against Rude, and then he'll probably play the winner of well Medvedev against Rublev if, if Medvedev makes it that far. Um, which on on clay over best of five, I I don't see him losing. Um, I think given the fact that he got to the final last last year will help him a lot. The fact that he's he's been there and done it before, and I think he'd have a decent chance in the final against anyone. The way he's been been playing recently. Um, Sorry, I, I, I'm I'm not going to cut your thunder here. I've just found it. Uh, Isner set handicap minus one point five is evens. So, so yeah, that's what I'll go for. Um, Isner to effectively not go, well, not lose um, straight sets and not lose in four. He can lose in five or win the match. Um, no, sorry, I'm making a real mess of this now. You really, really are. Uh, John, is, John Isner to win in straights or in four. Done. There we go. That's it, even. Yes, well, well done. Um, as, as I was saying, since pass has been played pretty well on the clay. Um, made the he won Monte Carlo. Um, I think he made the semis in Madrid, losing to to Zverev. He loves that event, and made the final in in Rome. So he's he's certainly playing well enough, I think, to uh, to trouble anyone on on this surface. Um, I think nine to two. If you go each way, I think it's it's pretty likely he makes the final, and then as I say, a, a, a decent chance of winning if he should he get there. Um, so that sits past at nine to two. Um, for my wild card, I've not gone for an outright. I've gone for a, a single. Um, you you might hate this, but I've gone for for Kundo Bagnis to beat Daniil Medvedev at eleven to two. Um, Medvedev has recently come back from surgery from a hernia. He's only played one match on the clay this year, um, which was last week in Geneva, I think, um, and he lost. Um, gets Richard Gasquet in straight sets. So he's not in the in the best state at the moment. I, was, I, I didn't watch the match, but I saw highlights. Medvedev was getting pretty angry. He's someone who doesn't doesn't like the clay. Um, he once shouted, "I don't want to play here on this surface." So he's he clearly not not someone that likes the clay. Um, I don't think it particularly suits his game either. Um, given he hits very flat, that just kind of sits up on the clay. Um, and Bagnus is is a clay specialist. Um, he loves the clay. He's I think he'll be happy for the to to get into the long rallies. And he does have the weapons to hurt Medvedev, um, particularly on his forehand. Um, and I think these odds eleven to two, so five and a half to one. I I think they're they're very generous. Yes, yeah, sorry again. I was struggling to find the pause button there. Um... Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, I actually don't hate that wild card. I mean, I don't think he's going to win, let's put it that way, but that's what wild card's for. I also looked at that and thought that's a terrible first round for Medvedev because Bagnus is your, your sort of aggressive clay court sort of player. He's only ever picks up results on this surface and he is tour level quality when you're looking at um, uh, at clay events, basically. Um, so on to my outright and wild card. Now, again, 
I think your pick for outright each way has to be Sitsipas. Uh, Same as what you've said. Um, he's on the, the lesser side of the draw. You've avoided Zverev, Alcaraz, Nadal and Djokovic, I think. Um, which is just crazy, to be honest. Um, and that leaves basically him, Medvedev and, and Rublev, I think, more or less on, on the other side. Maybe Rude as well, I, I can't remember, but I don't really put him in the same same ballpark as these guys. Um, so so Sitsipas as my, my outright, but it has to be each way because I don't think he's winning the event. Um, if you ask me who I think is actually winning, I would say Alcaraz, so feel free to go for that one at two to one. But that those odds aren't great. Um, but my wild card is going to be Andre Rublev. If there's ever going to be a time where he does it at a slam, it's probably now. He's in a an easy half of the draw where, quite frankly, I only think he's going to have to take out two big names at a maximum, uh, providing the draw sort of unfolds the way it should do. Um, and and yeah, I just think I just think he's he's the one. So. Um, so Rublev at 33 to 1, big aggressive game style, can take it to most players. Those odds seem pretty silly. Again, it has to be each way because the second you put him against mm-hmm. Nadal, Djokovic, Alcaraz, probably Zverev as well, I don't think he wins that. But but in his half of the draw where it's just sits a pass, yeah, it's worth a punt. Yeah, no, I, I looked at Rublev, uh, Rublev sorry, um, it was my wild card. Um, but I yeah, I've, I've, I think 33 to 1 is very long. You've got sort of 16 and a half to 1 and then making the final, which I think is very generous. I think he might have Sinner in the last 16 or something like that. He, he seems to, to draw in Sinner at the moment. Um, but yeah, I think that's I think that's a good price. I think he has, has a decent shot. I'd probably make him the second favourite, actually, to, to make the final in that. That half, I'd probably put him above Medvedev, definitely above Rude. Um, so yeah, decent shout there, I think. Yeah, um, cool. Uh, and that kind of rounds things off then. Um, so as I say, we're, we're going to be pretty pretty on it with the Twitter this week. That will come probably courtesy more of Luke than myself, just due to time zone wise um, and his ability to, to manage social media better than me. Um, but yeah, keep, keep posted. And um, thank you for joining me this week, Luke. Thank you, Charlie. Uh, yeah, we'll have to we'll have to be in liaison with Jack to try and get some of his thoughts and feelers throughout the week as well. Maybe get him to to do do a couple of posts. Um, but yeah, follow our Twitter at Serving Up Clutch, um, and obviously our website uh, servingupclutch.co.uk or .com. Um, thanks again, and that is all. We'll we'll sort of potentially touch base again for the second week of the French. <laughs>